Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a Drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie. And in today's episode, we're going to be chatting about chapter 22 <laughs> of Order and the Fucking Phoenix. Lovely. So grab a glass of your favourite blue goo, goo and join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey. <laughs> great i wanted to say it's been so long but um you asked the discord recently for suggestions for a goblet of wine bingo mm-hmm. and somebody said it's been so long and i was like you yep. dickhead leave I us alone every podcast does that though i know although shout out we've had a challenge from twitter <gasps> i think i saw this yes and it's yep. a great challenge and mm-hmm. i would like to do a late inclusion for the rest of the podcast the podcast yep. which I'm allowed to do that. I'm one of the hosts. They said every time we switch Voldemort and Dumbledore, we have to take a shot. We have to take a shot. And do you know what? I used to listen to other podcasts and they would switch Voldemort and Dumbledore. And I'd be like, why do they do that? They're mm. not similar names. And we do it continuously. And yeah. I don't know why. And if we don't realise during an episode, and I realise it during the edit, I'm going to keep a tally. We have to catch up the next episode. Yeah, because this is the I never notice when no, we're recording. never notice when we're recording. So it's mostly going to come from me editing and keeping a tally. Yeah, so we'll have to just do it in the next episode. Thank you for that suggestion. Oh, let me get the credit for that, actually, while Charlie speaks. So... I listen to a lot of the podcasts called Her Dark Materials. We might mention them before. I can't I remember. But basically, they're two girls. I know them in real life. Um, IRL. Faye and Rachel. And they're absolutely lovely. And they have a podcast where they talk about His Dark Materials. And they're very similar vibes for us. So go recommend them. They're my, like, go-to podcast. I, I, I just love them. And I think they have similar sense of humour to us. But anyway, they have a thing. At the start of their, like, intros, they will ask each other how they are. They actually say, Ew. when me and Hannah are like, how are you? We're like, fine, fine. how are you? Fine. fine. <laughs> and then the I'm like, I'm not fine. I'm not fine. Like, Here's the thing. I'm not fine. <laughs> I've had an awful week. Like one of the worst weeks in my adult working life, mostly to do with work stuff. Mm. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm fine. And then I'm yeah, like, fine. No, I'm not. <laughs> No, I'm not. <laughs> and this is such a nice thing. They actually, and it's really lovely. And obviously, if there's ever anything personal, they like don't go into that much detail, which is like. But fu- we did go into it a few episodes ago with everything that was happening in London. And we no, got but- so many messages being like, thank you for going into mm. that and thank you for saying how you were and your take on it. And obviously, that was a much bigger thing. But like, we never actually talk about how we are. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Like, we do when it's like the bigger stuff, but we don't just like the day to day stuff. We're just like really polite about it also sorry i found that credit so that was sarah aka at future mrs resnor who yeah. said about the dumbledore and voldemort switching but thank you i've had a really busy but potentially exciting week but i just <laughs> i haven't had a lot of sleep felt a bit like i was having a breakdown just from the lack of sleep you know when you're just like technically everything is kind of fine like you're quite yeah. busy but like standard week but you just do not sleep any nights and by the end of the week you just feel like yeah you could crack yeah just from lack of sleep yeah, yeah she's gonna kill that. me later yeah i yeah but like i probably would have anyway just vibes 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 shall we do thank yous we probably should yeah let's do those so we have some new patrons to welcome to our patron family i actually have quite a few and that is so exciting so a meteorite size thank you to marlene van kins uh, Leonardo DiCaprio size thank you to Mrs. Ledding leading how I don't know I don't know, I don't know. correct us <laughs> we always say that and then no one does and I'm sure there's loads of people like they said my name wrong but I'm not gonna say anything yeah <laughs> a Jeremiah size thank you to Jessica 
A Jurassic Park-sized thank you to Joshua. The name Joshua always makes me think of friends, you know, when she's like, Joshua. Joshua. <laughs> Joshua. Oh, Josh. Joshua. <laughs> a Belinda from My Dad Wrote a Porno size thank you to Brenda. An astronaut size thank you to Alexia, who is our new producer-level patron. Woo, woo. A Neapolitan ice cream size thank you to Nikita K, who upgraded her pledge. A rainbow size thank you to Rebecca. And an ostrich size thank you to Olivia. They have all joined our Patreon where they get access to our Discord where, coming up just now, we have completed this half year's House Cup. So if you join now, everyone is on the same points benchmark and you get points that earn towards your house and you can also become a prefect and that's really cool. But there's also stuff over on Patreon like behind the scenes stuff. We have been pretty bad the last few months because we've both been very busy with uploading but we have a load of stuff saved up to come out such as our talk along to Chamber of Secrets, a vlog of the first day we could record together this year post the latest COVID lockdown and, and the stuff that everyone cares about. We've got some bonus episodes with, with Neil. Neil. Yes, Neil is now, we were reading my mortal to each other but we quickly quickly scrapped that and just got neil to read it to us because mm. everyone kept asking for neil so if you want more neil he is over on the patreon so thank you so so much to all those new patrons now speaking of which it is the end of the half year it is so without further ado off you go in last place oh with- can i guess i have been the least active this half year i'm very sorry um <laughs> yes. you're a nightmare at the start of every half year i'm like i'm gonna be really active and then i don't um ravenclaw mm-hmm. in last place with the fewest amount of points despite having by far the most amount of members Ooh is Hufflepuff with 52,473 points. Wow. They have by far the most amount of members. I know they do. I know they do. Just none of them speak. Speak up, Hufflepuffs. It's quite incredible. So who do you think is going to be in third place? Ravenclaw. Okay. Yes, Ravenclaw for every slot. (laughs) Okay. Right. Okay. Can confirm that in third place with the fewest amount of points and the fewest amount of members... Not the fewest amount of points, the third fewest amount of points. Well, the third fewest Fewest. amount is Gryffindor. (gasps) My house, letting the side down. They only have 10 people. This is actually like, actually, no, okay, so... What? What I I will um, say with this is what I've started doing is only counting the people with more than 100 points because... Like, there, there's a lot of people that do will, Do I like, not make it on the list? <laughs> no, you do. You get more than 100 points easily. <laughs> but but there's, like, a lot of people that will come on and, like, either never message or, yeah. like, just send, like, one or two messages and yeah. then just, like, Discord isn't for them. So, like, they're, like it's just... It would take days yeah. for me to yeah, count yeah. all of those people. So I'm like, okay, we you had to get over 100 people. points to get counted. So they only have 10 people Gryffindors, that ever got... come on, active Gryffindors who like using Discord. Come and join us. We have always been the lowest amount of people. And... I think it's such a Harry Potter thing of like Gryffindor being the main house in the books and therefore no fans being Gryffindors. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm going to guess. Oh, okay. So who's run? Ravenclaw or Slytherin? I think Slytherin have won. I'm sorry. I'm guessing Ravenclaw for every position, but I think Slytherin have won this year. Okay. I'm just going to work. No, I don't. Some of the most active people are Ravenclaws. Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. No, I'm going to stick to my gut. So in first place... Mm Mm-hmm. With 411 points more <gasps> than in second place. Sorry. And how many points total? With 
93,508 points. And it came down to under 500-point margin. Yep. The house that has won the House Cup, this half book, is Ravenclaw. God, who I you saw last. Sorry, Ravenclaw. <laughs> Sorry, shit so, all over your house. Yeah, that means that Slytherin came second. I hate you all. I am disowning you all. How dare you let me down like this? Can I have some better Slytherins, please? Um, yeah, they got um, 93,097 points. I can't believe points. how close those are. That was crazy close. That's, That's like mad. Yeah. Okay, so then we have the prefects. So mm. these are the people that get access to the prefects bathroom, which um, I'm not sure if these people want the prefects bathroom because the people that are in it right now treat it as a literal bathroom. <laughs> what do you mean? Like I have access to it, but I don't know what they're doing. Like they will just comment in there every now and then, like poop emojis. <laughs> no, like, that's funny. Or like bath emojis, or like it's just mostly talk about like bathroom habits. I love that. Like the that's people that like we had before then just actually like just would occasionally have like like nice chats between the prefects. This time it's literally just been like when they're making a bowel movement. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So our prefects. So I have introduced a new thing because quite a lot... Well, no, so half of the people that got prefect this time are already prefects. And I think it's far more interesting and fun if we switch it every time. So now if you get prefect one term, you can't be it for the next term. If you that can be it again, the one after that, but you can't be yeah, it the... Not twice the, in a row. Twice in a row. Yeah, basically. So with that in mind, the Slytherin prefect with 30,590 points That's is... That's a lot of points. It is. Is uh, Monica, aka Rachel. Rachel! Yay! Well done. And then the Ravenclaw prefect with 37,010 points is Alex. Well done, Alex. The Hufflepuff prefect with 10,760 points is Sophie. Yay! That sounded sarcastic, it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Yay! (laughs) And then finally, the Gryffindor prefect with 12,560 points is Mary. Yay! Well done, everyone. So everyone will have access to the prefect's bathroom. It's disgusting in there, but I will try to clean it. Hold on. Isn't one person out of those the head... Human? Oh shit, yeah, I forgot that head human is the thing. Let me check who the head human is. Yeah, so I forgot to say because I completely forgot that the head human is a thing. We know what our own systems are. We're so good at the podcast. Yeah, the head human with 37,010 points is Alex. Nice one, Alex. Well done, everyone. Well um, done. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the disgusting bathroom that you're going to be left with. And Um, also those points relate to you get between one and three messages, one and three points per message. mm -hmm. So just take a moment to think about how many points they have. Yes, it's a lot. There you go. (laughs) But we love it. And also the points have now been reset. So if you join the Discord now, although you can join it absolutely any time and we have had people win halfway through a term which is incredible yeah. but if you join it now all the points have been reset so you're kind of yeah. like at a good level yeah now. i also think so sometimes there's confusion about how you join the discord basically you have to be a two dollar and up patron so you sign up for patron um and then 
I think in your settings, there's basically a place where you can put your Discord username and then it automatically adds you in. Yeah, you will also get an email saying you've got Discord rewards and well, it will ask you to link your Discord username. Yeah. Right, last thing we have to do is what alcohol are we drinking today? Yeah. Today's request comes from a very long-term Patreon M. And M asks, I'm going to read out M's message in full. Mm-hmm. Now, for the real reason I've gathered you here today, your drink. Did I upgrade my tier just to, for you, just to force this upon you? Absolutely. Good reason to update your tier. Yep. Upgrade your tier. Thank you. So it's time for everyone to stop being a hater and get on board the Blue Goo train. Blue Goo, the drink for you. I love a slogan. Thank you. I work in marketing. That's beautiful. <laughs> Simply think of a white wine spritzer. But in this case, you are mixing your glass of white wine with blue Gatorade. Sparkling white wine is acceptable if that is your preference. Thus, you have a glass of blue goo. Patent pending. So, for context for this, M has been a very chaotic member of our Discord for quite a while. Um, and it was quite a few months ago now that she started banging on about blue, blue goo. goo. This drink that she had invented and was drinking and then has slowly infested the Discord with people giving in and trying blue goo. And at one point she was like, lol, you guys should try it. And I was like, bitch, pay us. Where's my money? Because that's the kind of (laughs) bitchy Patreon (laughs) podcast people we are. So I was like, okay, cool. Want us to drink it. So she did. That's Um, a heart. So now, yes, we have to try this blue goo. Neil has already tried it also neil bless his heart so we tried to find gatorade and again this is a classic case of and we did a, charlie did a meme about it recently <laughs> of american patrons requesting us things and it's coming up in the next episode too where we cannot get hold of them so yep. gatorade is an american thing and we could not for the life of us find it so last time we recorded we actually bought stuff for it and we bought the only thing we could find which was blue monster which is an energy drink but gatorade is more of like a sports drink yeah and we didn't end up drinking it then so we were like right we've got another month to find blue gatorade and neil bless his heart walked all the way to central north london where i mean we live in south london to go to an american supermarket to find us blue gatorade and he did and then on his walk back he popped into the sainsbury's 10 minutes of our house and what was there on the end of the aisle it was blue gatorade (laughs) R.I.P. Neil. And then he screamed. Um, no, but we have Blue Gatorade. We've chosen to mix it with sparkling white wine, just because you said you wanted it to be like a white wine spritzer, so I wanted a bit of that fizz. Yeah, let's do it one at a time. <laughs> Why do you look so disgusted? That's just not good. Oh, no. I think this might be undoing all of the work that I've done to get myself to a point where I like white wine, because <laughs> that's just... Tastes kind of like off white wine. Um, you've made white wine worse (laughs) well I didn't think she was going to have made it better with the Gatorade okay I can see some of the logic here that putting an isotope sports drink that contains caffeine and sugar into an alcoholic drink is the same logic as like a vodka Red Bull or a Jagerbomb because you're getting the caffeine and the thing to keep you going along with the alcohol Mm-hmm. And I think if I was more drunk, I would just not notice how this tastes and just swig it down because yeah. it's like weakened white wine. It is like a white wine spritzer kind yeah. of where it's like, meh. But there's a tangy after. I don't like isotope sports drinks in the slightest. I don't think I've ever drunk them. Lucas ate any of that. I really don't like them. 
and it leaves like a tangy aftertaste. Mm. So thanks, I, Em. I kind of agree with what Neil said that it needs more Gatorade. So, same. should we begin talking about Harry Potter? Ugh, maybe. Sipping I on just accidentally just closed my notes. Also, full points to M for creativity with this, though. That it is. It smells like piss if you just smell it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sniff it. Oh my god, it does. It smells like piss. I was expecting to be like, what does your piss smell like? That, like that <laughs> smells, smells like piss. Like, like reasonably hydrated piss, piss. but like piss. Piss. Chapter 22. She says, drinking more. St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Do you not think this chapter title is a spoiler for the fact that Mr. Weasley is alive? This chapter title irritates me. Because like, yeah. it leaves it hanging that Mr. Weasley might be dead. And then it's like, hospital. Oh, he's alive then. It's like if he wasn't and the chapter title was The Morgue. <laughs> <laughs> the Funeral. <laughs> You know and what? do you know what? That really irritates me. Modern British copies of Harry Potter, you know, the modern covers. Yeah. They have the chapter list in the front. Yeah. I'm like, the chapter I hate list when, contains yeah, spoilers. I hate when any book does that. Yeah. Chapters, titles are going to contain yeah. spoilers. It's so idiotic. That's why I like Game of Thrones where the chapter titles are just the character name. Because mm. the only way is if you studied that list and were like, oh dear, halfway through this book, Jon Snow Ooh, stops not talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um, feel like St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries is a spoiler. Yeah. Also, for anyone that's not seen or read Game of Thrones I picked a random character name yeah. there That's you can't not tell us like... if they're dead or alive <laughs> exactly they're all um, at risk so the my but saying that what we said about if it was like called the funeral my favourite trope in TV is when it like teases that like a character's been shot or injured or anything yeah and then cuts to a funeral scene and then it like will like pan out and it's not the character's funeral it will then show them in the audience and it's just someone else's die I like so my oh. favourite thing is, and you can now, like, just... I, you, if you watch enough TV, you know it's going to happen. If a character gets shot or stabbed or harmed at the end of an episode, but they are in, like, grievous harm but still breathing as the episode ends, they will live in the next one. Because yeah. if you're going to do an ending, they're going to die at the ending. It's just we, I was watching Line of Duty the other day because I've started watching it because no one will shut up about it, so I've started watching it. it. People keep saying that this is, like, eight to ten years old. I know. This has only existed for six months. I refuse to believe. It's been on since 2012, No, it hasn't. It has. Because there were the memes where, like, people being like, oh, like, you know, when it's, like, the two things holding hands and it's, like, Game of Thrones, Line of Duty, (laughs) disappointing people after 10 years. And I saw that and I was like, no, 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 Line of Duty. Like, I've heard about this the past six months. No, it has. And then someone actually posted like the wikipedia like it's been on for almost 10 years so i started it from the beginning and yeah the first season is set in 2012 and was filmed in 2012 which is insane i know like, and i was like I've where only, is this i've never heard of it it's before. just lockdown boredom it sprung up from to be fair it's actually really fucking good like i would recommend I, it. I, I do keep meaning to watch it but also like i just a cab i know but and it's sort of like a cab d not not a cab d because it's police investigating police it's the police trifecta so it's the police investigating bent carpers but like police can't investigate <laughs> investigate police i just like and that's half the crux of the show over whether this police department is the right person to investigate police and you're just like clearly <laughs> not can i make a prediction for watching it yeah Okay, so I'm one season from season six, which aired this year. Okay, if you're telling me that this is a show about a police department that investigates other police for being like bent carpers, yeah, yeah, it's technically corrupt, but the word they use is bent carpers. Okay, one of those investigative coppers is clearly gonna be corrupt. 
22, St Mungo's okay. Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. <laughs> so McGonagall takes Harry to Dumbledore and she's like, oh, he's had a nightmare. And it's like, no, McGonagall, you clearly know that he's not just had a nightmare or you wouldn't take him to Dumbledore. This is not standard practice. I know, I know. That like... A first year has a nightmare and you take him to Dumbledore. I would like that if that was. I think that's really quite sweet, but maybe like terrifying to the first year. But like, you don't believe he's actually had a nightmare. I know, but I suppose she doesn't have another way to describe it. But then Harry later calls it a vision. And I'm like, yeah, a vision. That is the right word. Yeah, that's um, a, yeah. I just want to point out that Dumbledore still has sweets for his password. The man has no concept of secure passwords. No. Dumbledore, my semi-secure password, which I thought was good, got hacked into last year and now I have had to create a different password for every single fucking platform that I use. So yeah. be more secure, please. I got like Apple actually does a really good thing where it can kind of tell if your password's been like leaked on like, oh, I Google guess the Oh, Google can do that, yeah. Yeah, and so it kept telling me that that had happened. Yeah, mine, a standard one has been leaked. <laughs> yeah, and so it kept telling me that I'd happened so i was like oh fine i guess i should actually protect my bank account um in case like people steal (laughs) my 50p um so i like changed all my like i left kind of my you know i don't care about that hack that uh no see that's what i originally had i had more secure ones for my banking and things but i'd left all my eh ones as my standard one and then my deliveroo got hacked and someone ordered 50 pounds worth of food Mm. on my card and i was like So I've come up with a formula, please don't try to guess my password, where it changes for every site, but based on a selection of things that I can work out. Yeah. So it's now different for every site, even if it's an easy or hard site, but based on a formula I can work out. Yeah. I would recommend working out a formula. (laughs) Yeah, I I should do something like that. Because yeah, I changed like a lot of things, like the social medias I cared about, my bank accounts, blah, blah, blah. And I changed them to what I thought was a really hard password. Mm really really hard and now this week someone has repeatedly been trying to hack my instagram um and if you're that person can you please get a fucking life especially because that's like my livelihood Um, we're alone (laughs) so like can you stop um but also that's been like quite stressful and now i'm like okay turns out my password that i thought was really secure not that secure no come up with a formula anyway dumbledore has no concept of protection because he just keeps changing sweets shit it's shit i also need his dressing gown we were talking about dressing gowns earlier mm. and i need dumbledores what so. was i missed this i did i did not pay much attention to the description oh it says it was like flowing purple embroidered with stars oh that's cute i, I like that lovely. that sounds like a good primark number that you would get <laughs> or maybe actually oh you know where does really good dressing gowns boo avenue next Ooh, dumbledore won't look at harry as he tells his story and Mm, we'll get to that (laughs) i messaged charlie i tried to send her a screenshot of my notebook without showing her my notes and i was trying to show her how many capital (laughs) sentences i'd written in my notes of just me she's like blurry enough so that i could see the caps without reading it yeah yeah dumbledore asked harry how he saw it oh yes and harry's like uh in my head and then Dumbledore's no like no you misunderstand no 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 sorry Harry did not misunderstand you did not not express yourself properly yeah like don't put that on Harry no 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 you misunderstand me no 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 you asked a really vague question how did you see it that's not exactly you could have said like where did you see it from what position were you in as you witnessed it was it in like first or third person exactly <laughs> where, was the camera? Use your, where was where was the camera 
Dumbledore anyway. doesn't know what a camera is. So Dumbledore asks the portraits to help to make sure that Mr. Weasley is found by the right people. And the book kind of points out that the uh, Dumbledore explains that the portraits are different from other portraits because they are able to move between their other portraits. Now, this raises a few questions. One, mm-hmm. if you have more than two or more portraits painted of you, is this how the magic works? Or is this special magic that's put on the portraits of the headmasters and mistresses? Question two, are you able to do this between any portrait that is painted for you and therefore are the other portraits blank whilst you are in the one you're in? Because we know that Phineas's portrait is often blank. So does that mean that as soon as you get more than one portrait painted of you, you are sometimes not in that portrait and does the age the portrait is painted matter because what if you're painted 20 years younger in one than you are another yep. does it have to be your dead portrait like your you've mm. died portrait does it have to be good <laughs> yes if i just, just painted man. a portrait with my very limited art or literally skills. just did a stickman and labeled it Exactly. Okay, three questions. Answer mine. Okay, so I believe that this applies for any portrait, not just the Hogwarts headmasters, because there is the one in the Prime Minister's office, the Muggle Prime Minister office. That I swear he's always there. It never says the portrait is blank. Maybe it doesn't, but you still think in order to have a communication... Mm, that it's flitting between the two, yeah. Yeah, you would think yeah. so. And then there's also, I guess, that you could argue... What I like about this is, because you could argue as well about the chocolate frog cards, um, mm. because they disappear. But I kind of love the idea that, like... I, I but guess that's different photo. because they're... No, they're not all photos, because some of them are of... Really like, old people. Really old people when yeah. cameras didn't exist. And I guess you could argue it's different because um, some of them are off people that are alive, like Dumbledore has his when he's alive. Yeah. But I kind of love the idea that, like, say after Dumbledore died, that he's got, like, his um, portrait in the office and he can either be there or, or in, in all of the chocolate frogs. And that's the thing. <laughs> are you in all of the chocolate frog cards at once or do you appear individually in each of yeah. the thousands of chocolate frog cards? And, and if you're not, if chocolate frogs are different than the portraits and you're either like all in all of them or in none of them where do you go because ron's like you can't expect him to hang around all day but where is he going okay so i don't want to talk fully about the how the portraits function in terms of their cognitive power until book seven because i feel it's a lot more relevant then when we get dumbledore's portrait i think now is too early to you talk about it you asked me loads of questions and no, now you're like que- i don't want to talk about it <laughs> no my question was more about how does the is it magic or is it a portrait to portrait thing okay but in terms of the cognitive hanging around having a brain power because dumbledore answers questions that only dumbledore would know in book seven Mm -hmm. i want to save that till book seven yeah i agree with you that i think if you are a person of importance and therefore you have more than one portrait painted of you you then it's not a hogwarts headmaster headmistress yeah it's just a, a famous thing because i think the the portraits in hogwarts don't do that because they're fictional paintings the same way that are fictional paintings the person that sat for the mona lisa who was probably a man (laughs) if you look at his history but there was only one portrait painted of them so they cannot flit between others therefore they just and the hogwarts portraits can do both they can both flit between the portraits of themselves and move through portraits the same as the hogwarts ones can so yeah i believe it's just the magic of 
having more than one portrait painted of you. Yeah. And then my question was like, if you have so many, so Dumbledore's going to have so many. He's a really famous wizard. So he just has to, the, most of the frames are blank most of the time. So I think that it's probably similar to the photographs, how they have to be done, like developed in a certain potion. Right. I reckon that it's not only having a portrait, but then some spell potion development needs to be done on it. So that, you know, you could have a shit ton of portraits, but maybe only one or two have had this process done to them. And also maybe, maybe there's some element of consent as well i guess yeah maybe it becomes like more complicated when it's like fictional portraits but maybe like you can only have one that's fully conscious if you have the person when they're alive and they have to be the person to put their consciousness into that portrait yeah because a lot of the questions about the headmaster headmistress ones is when do they sit for these Mm. When are they sitting for these portraits? And then, yeah, my other question is, if one is painted a month before Dumbledore dies and another one is painted 30 years prior, when Dumbledore flits between them, how does that work? Yeah. And it's also like, if you... So, like, all of the Hogwarts headmasters, headmistresses, whatever. I think um, that there isn't a gender-neutral word for that. Headhumans, like we have. Headhumans, we have. (laughs) We we made it. We did this. We had this conversation. We made it gender-neutral We created it. Um, Headhumans. Yeah, headhumans. How... Okay, so you know that you're going to have to have this portrait and my kind of headcanon, I like the idea that they have to be the one to put their consciousness into it because I think that Mm. that makes sense. It explains how it can be done and it also makes it less iffy from like a consent point of view. Mm. But, like, how often must you have to have this portrait drawn up and, like, do this piece of magic just in case? And it's, like, if you're... Okay, so, like, I can buy that maybe, like, every five to ten years if you're, like, a normal person. You're not going to change that much. If you're like me, I change my hair every few months. Imagine having to have a portrait done to you and do this really complicated bit of magic every time you cut or dye your hair. Yeah, and when you're getting towards old age, every, yeah, two months in case you pop it, in case you pop your clogs. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah. We've got the portraits are a fascinating, really, really. When you think from a literary standpoint, I, I've read a fair amount of fantasy and I cannot remember this sort of thing in any other fantasy book. It is incredibly unique, incredibly interesting. But as soon as you think about it, you're like, I have 10 million questions. This raises more questions than it yeah. answers. It's incredibly cool and incre- incredibly unique. But like a lot of things in fantasy books, incredibly difficult to explain. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Big time. So Dumbledore also, as well as talking to the portraits, tells Forks they need a warning. And Forks... By the way, I wrote she. Forks is a woman, isn't isn't she? Yeah. I don't know. Do we need to know? Only because I'm, I'm kind of... Is Forks a... <laughs> is Forks a real bird? Many people have Googled. Wow. That's um, <laughs> concerning. Forks is a male... Okay. Interesting. I've always imagined them as female, so I will now go for they, them pronouns um, based on Wikipedia and myself. <laughs> okay. Um, are you just, ha- were you just assuming Fox's gender? Because you're like, it's bird, so it must be a bird. <laughs> no, something about Fox's. That's really thrown me, actually. My Only because, not because someone's presumed gender should like throw someone, but only because. you're like maybe reading too much into that (laughs) no kind of only because my entire life i have in my head i wish i hadn't googled that because in my entire life i'm like folks a girl a female bird i guess a deer (laughs) a female deer (laughs) (laughs) he's quite like sassy for a bird yeah and 
Uh, maybe this is sexist, but the healing. Maybe it's something to do with the healing. Oh, yeah, that's quite like a sexist, sexist thing. preconception oh, that you no, have. No, I'm unpacking my own sexism today. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like you're playing Overwatch and you're like, oh, that healer must be a girl. You won't get that right. Anyway, it's not. So... <laughs> anyway, Forks goes to send a warning. You carry on. Yep, and then Dumbledore, like, does some consulting of his instruments okay okay now okay. i should have googled this before because i wrote a very angry note and a note to myself hannah google and then okay. didn't do it no no, no. okay what? this is what but this is the other thing about her dark materials they do research and this like mm, maybe we should shame. do that they will genuinely i might have to do some live research if, now if they if they don't know something they will do extensive research and like Ooh. they do proper research they had a thing maybe skip forward like a minute if you have not read his or dark seen materials. his dark materials. There's a part in that when one of the characters gets their finger chopped off. Yeah. And in one episode, they actually Googled this to see like how realistic it would be, like where it would be cut and what that would mean in terms of like how much blood they would lose and like risk of infection. In the next one, they actually got an actual doctor to voice note in with their like medical opinion and like what this person should do if they were like essentially like in the wilderness without access to a hospital and they just like lost like Why a couple of Why are you putting our podcast to shame? I'm just saying that Why we're, you- <laughs> we're constantly here just like, uh, do you know? Uh, and then we move on. Okay, so I'm, I might actually pause the editing and look into this, but I right. wrote in capitals, what is the silver instrument showing the snake doing. So Dumbledore consults a silver instrument and there's a puff of smoke and the s- smoke forms into a snake and then Dumbledore says, but in essence divided and the snake changes into two heads and Dumbledore's like, yes, I understand. And I have read this book upwards of 40 times probably I and I have never known what this means and you talk, I'm going to fucking okay. Google it. I feel like this is just like a meaningless bit of filler which is one of the many things that should have been edited out of this book. I feel like this is just some bit of stuff to make Dumbledore seem knowledgeable and fancy. If you try and read into it, maybe the whole splitting into two thing is something about the soul and how like it's not just the snake, but it's also the piece of Voldemort in there. That's the only thing I can think, but I feel like this essentially is not that meaningful aside from like JK trying to be like, and then here's a bit of stuff that should have been edited out that just makes Dumbledore seem really fancy. Yeah, I think she was trying to say... She she was trying to say... She she was trying to say... She? (laughs) Almost like a reason... Because Dumbledore knows about Harry being a hawk. God, no, when does he learn about that? I think he suspects. He suspects. So she's trying to, like, be like, yeah, Dumbledore was, like, working it out. But then we never hear about this silver instrument again. Okay, I can tell by the top results are Quora, Reddit, Harry Potter fandom, and some random site that um, an answer to this has never been confirmed by J.K. Rowling. I see this as the moment Dumbledore understands that Nagini is a Horcrux, seeing her split into two after the attack, and that both are the same oh someone's left a quote by jk rowling from an interview according to jkr what does in essence divided mean jk rowling dumbledore suspected that the snake's essence was divided that it contained part of voldemort's soul and that was why it was so very adept at doing his bidding jk rowling this also explains why harry the last and unintended horcrux could see so clearly through the snake's eyes just as he regularly sees through voldemort's Dumbledore is thinking aloud here, edging towards the truth with the help of the pensive. 
There's... He wasn't using the pensive. It was a silver instrument. Mm. Maybe this is the moment where Dumbledore realises that Nagini is a Horcrux. Hold on, was Nagini a Horcrux by this point? Yes. No, she must have been, because Harry has the connection through her. We know that. Mm. But none of these answer the question of what that instrument is tangibly doing and, like, why it responds to Dumbledore asking a question. Like, I can believe this confirms that to Dumbledore that Nagini is a Horcrux, absolutely. And I think that does make sense textually. What... What what is this I instrument? Don't know. I do not know. And yeah, in that interview with J.K. Rowling, she says confirmed by the pensive, but yeah, that instrument weird. isn't the pensive. I kind of think that it's like essentially quite meaningless, and it is just like, oh, look at Dumbledore; he knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, yeah, because Dumbledore has always had that thing throughout the books of om- omniscient. Mm. He he always knows what is happening, and I think J.K. Rowling didn't really have an answer to why he knows anything ever and i think that is part of the seventh book of harry realizing that dumbledore never was making a lot of educated guesses he doesn't actually know everything yeah for sure anyway so so everard's portrait reappears and he says that he yelled until someone came running and then he says that he heard something downstairs i'm like this guy such a lad like i just love this like just i think if i was in this situation and someone said to me right okay you're like a portrait or whatever and you're like one floor above. Someone on the floor downstairs is like gr- like gravely injured, is like dying, and you can like help this person by saying like, oh, I just heard something, even though it's pretty impossible that you would actually hear something. I would let that person die because I would be too socially awkward to yell loads and say, oh, I just heard something. But that's their job. So what I find really interesting when one of the portraits tells Phineas off because they said, we are honour bound to serve the current headmaster. Yeah. It's like he doesn't have a choice. Like, like almost like house self magic. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that I'm too socially awkward right. for that. Yeah. I just, I'd be like, you know what? They can die. He's dead. And that's why you're not a Gryffindor. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to have to, like, explain myself, you know? They'd be like... They can't be arrested. But, like, they'd interrogate me, be like, yo, you clearly didn't hear that, so how did you know? Like, did you do it? And I'd be like, yep. Even though I didn't do it, I'd be like, yep. I'm literally made of paint, sir. I'd be like, that was was me. I'm just, like, bad at telling the truth. Yeah, anyway, so that dude does it, even though I wouldn't. And then a few minutes later, they, like, carry him up. And, like, when he says that, like... The book says that, like, Ron kind of, like, makes a movement. Like, meh, I just hate this. Like, I honestly, like, I, like, teared up and, like, almost cried at this chapter because I just, like, I think that Ron, from the moment Harry said what he saw and what happened, I think that on some level he knew that it was true. Like, this is yeah. not just, like... And when he this says, mate, not- you were having a bad dream... It was almost like he was kidding himself because he knows who Harry is. But also, like, you would... Like, it's not even kidding himself. That's, like, the logical thing. And, like, I think that completely on, like, every kind of surface level, he did not know. But I think that deep down, like, he did know. Yeah. And the amount of anxiety that he must have felt, like, waiting. I think if Harry felt anxiety when they were walking here, what Ron must have felt must have been so much worse. And... I think and that, Ron like, has I almost the double Ron... whammy of being scared for his friend and what his friend has gone through and experienced and also complete terror if he's right. It's like wanting him to be wrong. It's, it's horrific. Yeah, but I think like Ron 
always knew that obviously like well not obviously but ron always knew that 100 percent like that had happened but oh just like the moment that you get that kind of thing confirmed even if on some level you already knew it and the fact that it just says that he like kind of just made a movement just really just yeah it's horrible like ron is this is just like a moment like as the reader we already know that this has happened but this is ron getting the confirmation of what happened it's so sad i don't like it i've got to say i really love as we move through this chapter the way that we have four weasley children and all of their grief and anxiety is displayed in different distinct different ways yeah and I think that's really clever writing because it would be easy to say they all were scared they all sat down but like she writes them distinctly even fred and george have different fear reactions and different relief reactions so when mrs wheezy walks in the test text explicitly says that Ginny and George got up to hug her and Fred and Ron stayed sitting and had different reactions and I really love that because even though these children are similar in a lot of ways our grief and anxiety reactions we don't know them till they happen and they are all different and I really like that she distinguished between them all yeah so then the other portrait comes back and says like oh he looked really really bad but like they've taken him to St Mungo's Dumbledore says that Molly might already know because of her clock. And, oh, I just... This is just... Why would you want this clock? Why? Like, that's just horrible. I think that, like, as an anxious person, I think that, like, the clock would be an amazing thing for, like, relieving your anxiety that, like, you have a way to know until the day that it changes. Yeah. And then it is the worst possible way that you could ever find out that something has happened to the person that you love yeah and also it's like one o'clock in the morning she's not looking at the clock but then i don't I know hope because she's not. we especially like later books i think that we hear about the fact that she's carrying it around with her she carries it around yeah so maybe at this point she's reached that point of carrying it around with oh, her like we don't God. know like but yeah. yeah it's i would not want to find out this way like it is absolutely horrible and as well like you say I mean, like, at she least might find out immediately because you hear horrific stories no, of but... people who are in like traffic accidents and things and their partners don't find out till 12 24 hours later no but you don't even know because like if it just went to mortal peril like you don't know what, what that means that you mean? don't know like, to call exactly. yeah and like you know she knew that he was on the watch tonight so she might have had that clock with her and even if she didn't like someone you know something Dumbledore's going to send a message to her, so that's going to wake her up. And the first thing she's going to do before she, you know, manages to read that message or hear that message, whatever, she's going to glance at the clock. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's and she knows where he is. Like, yeah, that's the thing. She knows he's on guard duty tonight, so she does know what has happened. But the good thing about the clock, at least, is one of the hands is dead, isn't it? Yeah. So... At least she knows True. she's not dead. True, because especially is because she knows what he's guarding and knows who's after it. And you know that with Dumb... With... I've got to take a shot. Yes! I can't believe that happened. Yes! yes! I already said who does dumb. The, who does the credit go to? Remind us. To, I think it was Sarah. Sarah! I only said dumb. I'm going to refill our glasses and get Charlie a shot. I only said dumb. Nobody cares. It's the new rule. <gasps> Give me your wine. I'm getting you more blue goo. Okay. Anyway, to finish my point, she knows Voldemort's reputation and that if Voldemort decides to kill you, you're dead. Yeah, like she knows Voldemort's reputation. She knows what Mr. Weasley is guarding. So I guess like if you got woken up at 1am... And you know where your husband is. You're just going to immediately assume he's dead. So maybe the clock is a relief in that she knows that it's only mortal peril. Not that he's dead. Because I think otherwise you would immediately be like, okay, Voldemort came, Voldemort killed him. 
I can't believe I did that. The first episode we were doing that. Right, you've got a shot of rhubarb vodka and a refreshed blue goo. Thank you. I don't want either of these things. Nobody cares. I will say the more of the blue goo I drink, the least offensive it is. It started just to taste, taste like wine. Okay, I guess I will do my shot. I kind of think that shotting flavoured vodkas is worse than just vodka. Why? You, like, get a lot of that sweetness. It's like the artificial... Artificial. Artificial. Um, yeah, okay. okay. Bye. Thank you, Sarah. Was that a double shot? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that Ben's. That <laughs> might have been a double. That was. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't know that. If that was that a double shot glass? I'm pretty sure that's a double shot glass. That was massive. Oh, actually, once the burning's gone, I can taste. Ru- I like the rhubarb. Oh, good. My mum bought me that years ago. <laughs> Dumbledore wakes up Phineas, and Harry realizes that it's the portrait that's been in the room. When he's been saying it's Sirius's, so there was this portrait that had been like talking to him and mm. he could hear noises. And he now realises it's Phineas. And I do really like this kind of long game with Phineas in the final three books of yeah. him building up as an important character. I I know I shouldn't. I kind of love Phineas Nigellus. Like, I, I like him as a cat. He's problematic a problematic really... fave. No, no, no. He, he's similar in my mind to Slughorn, which I suppose is true of all like not bad Slytherins that we get in the book which I wish there were more and like less problematic ones and also just like you say not bad but like I think morally grey is the term we don't get a single Slytherin that's like good (laughs) exactly but like Phineas whether we know he consciously wants to or not is on the side of good because he's on the side of Dumbledore then Snape who we realise is good and Slughorn is also morally grey and I think that makes them such interesting characters to read about yeah definitely and we know that jk loves morally gray character oh, she which loves is one, one of the many reasons that i think that hagrid was supposed to be not good i don't know why i'm singing this it's just I? I thought you were gonna say something dodgy and i was like why are you singing <laughs> anyway. i don't know it just happened anyway so yeah phineas pretends to be asleep i just like him because he's sassy and he's funny and he doesn't love, put up with shit I, and, like, and oh. he's also one of the only humorous parts of book seven which makes me like him because it's yes. a very dark book and i like any humor i can get definitely and also like we kind of see him as morally great and 100 percent is because we kind of hear about things that he did and he when refers he was to a headmaster. And he also refers openly to Hermione as a mudblood. Yeah, like, in and, her and presence. Yeah. Like, so he's definitely not a great guy. Yeah. But also, like, we kind of, like, for a lot of book seven, feel a bit, like, eh, about him because we're like, oh, no, like, he's in the thing and he's helping Snape. And then, you know, we find out that Snape is... I don't want to say good guy. But, like, you hear that one passage where Phineas is excited because he's finally heard, overheard where they are, so Snape can go and help yeah. them. And he's like, I've heard, I've heard they're in the Forest of Dean. And I'm like, oh my God, no, he was constantly trying to find exactly. them. Exactly. But it's like the different thing where you think that he's on the bad guy side all of book seven and then you find out that he's on the uh, guy side. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, so Forks gives a warning like a flash of fire and a feather and that means that Umbridge is out of bed and I find this really interesting because it's a very early sign that Dumbledore is struggling to stop her Mm. he has to say to McGonagall head her off tell her any story we realize that she is more powerful than Dumbledore in this moment he is having to use every thing he has in his power to get these kids out of the school and to work before she gets to them she's more powerful than him and that's scary yeah because it's like the only you know it's not because she is 
better or more powerful than him. It's only because she's got the the weight of the ministry behind her. Yeah. And the, you know, the government should not have that level of power. They should 100% have, like, a administrative power in terms of, like, offset, making sure that the yeah. school's okay. They seem to have absolutely no interest in upholding the actual quality of education, which is where the government should come into play. Mm. But they, And they have no interest in setting a syllabus until it serves their political agenda. Yeah. Um, where are the fucking syllabus? And don't, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, there are so many issues with having a syllabus, but it's an incredibly complex issue that we cannot solve in this podcast. But, you know, I definitely think that there are times in the Harry Potter books where there needs to be a clear syllabus. Anyway, anyway, it's she is powerful because there's the weight in the ministry and they have the ability to intervene in the one school in the country. Yeah, that's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. So Dumbledore creates a portkey, and as they all reach for the portkey. Harry locks eyes with Dumbledore and feels the urge to kill him. And again, this is one of those things where there's a lot of things in this chapter. I'm like, why? So I started making notes as to why. So number one, because Voldemort's hatred for Dumbledore is that strong that it's bursting through Harry. Or two. So we know from a later chapter that it was at the moment in the time that Voldemort was and Harry were possessing the snake that Voldemort realised that Harry was also present in the mind connection. Mm -hmm. Therefore, from that moment onwards, so in the following half an hour that we are now watching, is Voldemort already preparing to use the connection to attack Dumbledore because he knows that Harry will go to Dumbledore because we know that he found out at this moment and that's what Dumbledore's been afraid of, that he will find out the connection and it will use it to use Harry as a weapon to kill Dumbledore. Mm. So is that what's happening in that moment that Harry feels like he wants to kill Dumbledore? Is Voldemort been sitting there waiting? Like, I've realised Harry Potter's in my mind. He has to go to Dumbledore. I'll sit here and wait. But it's only been 20 minutes. Has he realised that quickly? I don't know because it's like, it's really hard because what was different this time? Because Harry sees into Voldemort's mind so many times. Mm. The only thing that's different this time is that he saw something that was like a life and death death moment but so, also maybe that it wasn't voldemort's mind voldemort was consciously controlling the snake maybe but so, I, don't, I don't know what that would change from voldemort's end neither do i but we know from snape's monologue in a couple of chapters time that they suspect and we know it to be true from evidence in the rest of the book that Voldemort now realises that Harry can see yeah, into the mind. Which is, like, fine, and I accept that, but, yeah, but like, I just, like, why? I want to know why. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, yeah, curious, um, to say the least, because, yeah, I, I just don't get, you know, there is nothing that different about this particular vision than the fact that he just saw something... Of yeah, because more importance. The other, a lot of the others have been just reading moods, but the one at the beginning of book four... yeah was a full He saw the vision. entire scene. The entire saw scene. Saw more than what he saw here. It, it was 100%. just less consequential. 100%. So, yeah, what, number one, the question is, why does Voldemort notice now? And number two, is his urge to kill Dumbledore because that's background so strong in Voldemort or because Voldemort is sitting there now ready to use Harry as a weapon mm. to kill Dumbledore? Yeah, or does Harry just really fucking want to kill him and he's just, you know. <laughs> but yeah, or is it is it not that he specifically, Voldemort, is like, maybe Voldemort is at this point realising and that it's the anger that he's feeling coming through and Harry interpret it, 
interprets it wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Basically, like I would have appreciated, I think, in the scene where he kind of has that vision. I just, I would have liked it if maybe something happened. Like, yeah, maybe almost because... like a flash of like. Maybe you see yourself struggle. in two mirrors or something, or like, or I, I, I would like, would have liked maybe a power struggle where, okay, so there's in the stake, there's obviously a bit of Voldemort's soul, but then there's a bit of Voldemort's soul in Harry. So maybe when the snake goes to attack Arthur, because Harry is there, maybe there's like a moment, moment. of like hesitation. Yeah, yeah that would have been. Or really Harry good. tries to do something and doesn't get control obviously but maybe there's like a moment where Voldemort feels the resistance because Harry is like this is one of his father figures at the end of the day and I can completely buy that maybe Harry fought for control in the same way that he does when there's the imperious charm and maybe that's how Voldemort picked up on it but we don't get any of that. Or maybe even a moment where he almost experiences like a deja vu thing where Voldemort is controlling the snake then we almost see not where Voldemort is but things from Voldemort's perspective and then Harry sees a flash of something from his own perspective yeah so we're like whoa 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 why are you seeing it from your own perspective and that's when Voldemort realizes that Harry is there or something yeah to explain why Voldemort realizes in this moment because yeah there's nothing there to explain it this book anyway. leaves quite a lot of questions. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it this does. This chapter especially, I was reading it like, I've never understood this and I don't think I'm going to. And that irritates. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Not only to maybe pick up on the things we didn't pick up on as children, but also to pick up on the things that were dropped or not explained properly. And I could be wrong. We could do these close readings of the rest of the books and come across the answers to these. But yeah, and I, I can't think, remember like, them off the top of my I'm, head. I think that... I have especially the tendency to excuse this kind of thing. I think because I'm used to like a lot of TV and stuff where like baby stuff doesn't get the time that it deserved to finish it, especially because when I say that I'm a fan of Joss Whedon, um, I'm a fan of Joss Whedon's work. She loves Joss Whedon. In a critical way. She's going to marry him. (laughs) Don't. That's not okay. Like he is a piece of shit that should never work again. Um, But I, you know, I, I, the same way that I like Harry Potter, despite what J.K. Rowling's done, I like a lot of Joss Whedon's work, despite what he's done. And also despite the fact that some of the time, his work is just quite frankly not that good. Mm. I like it. And, you know, obviously with the critical lens on it, but a lot of his work, like, he kind of got a reputation um, for a bit, I don't know if you know, of, like, just the guy in Hollywood that just everything got cancelled. Like, everything he did would just get cancelled before its time. It kind of started with Firefly, which literally got one season because it was aired in the wrong order. So, what? Literally, Fox aired it in the wrong order. So the What? I shit you not. So no one could understand what was going on. So then it didn't get any viewers because everyone watched the like two episodes that they played in the wrong order was like, I don't understand what's happening here. So then no one watched it because they didn't know what was happening. should have paid back the money to the studio. (laughs) But yeah, so then it got cancelled because it wasn't getting the viewers. And there's a lot in that that like wasn't answered. And and kind of because of that, basically, Joss Whedon got this reputation as the guy until he kind of signed on with Marvel that everything he did got cancelled before mm. it's time. So there was a, there's a lot in his works that where you're like, 
There's stuff that's unanswered and not just Joss Whedon as well. Like there are so many people like that where they start to make TV shows or mm. any kind of series and they don't get to answer all of these questions. So I think a lot of the time I kind of see this stuff in literature or in media, or whatever, and I kind of excuse it because I'm like, oh, they just didn't get the time. But no, J.K. Rowling finished her shit. She could have answered this. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand you write things in to be like, I'll come back to later or this will be useful if I need it. And then you don't end up getting to it. But it's very frustrating in these books that give you a lot of tidbits that do get answered to have these tidbits that don't. That's what's frustrating. Yeah. So they arrive at number 12 Grimmauld Place and the Wheezy children want to go straight to St Mungo's but Sirius, who is there, says that they can't do that or it will look sus. And the Wheezy children, including Fred and George, are like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, grow up. Yes, it does. Like, it does. Sirius is right when they're like, this is this is why you're not in the order. Like, okay. I'm sorry. Like, I... I, I do understand their reaction because it's their dad, like, yeah. 100%. But Sirius is right that this is why they aren't yeah. in the order. So I have come to the conclusion from these few chapters that I think that Sirius gets a bad reputation that sometimes he deserves, but sometimes that he doesn't deserve. Because I think in this chapter, he he knows what what to do and he knows that they can't he's go. He's acting as a responsible he is, adult in this He's being very responsible and very rational yeah and i think that a lot of what we have and we'll discuss it in a couple of chapters time but a lot of what we have in a few chapters time is harry worrying and don't get me wrong i think obviously that sirius can be a very irresponsible and very rash person obviously he kind of missed the majority of his adult years don't get me wrong i think that he can be but i think that because that he sometimes has that tendency i think that a lot of him actually being like that is actually people presuming that he's being like that yeah i think that he can be like i think that yeah they should have not taken his advice a few chapters ago but in a few chapters, we have Harry worrying, saying that, oh, I'm worried that he's going to go off and do something reckless. Well, Harry, what happens in a few chapters and we'll get to it, but Harry makes a choice based on a presumed sense of Sirius's mental state that ends up leading to Sirius's exactly. death. But I think that sometimes you kind of like, okay, so you see Harry being really, really worried that Sirius is going to go off and do this thing. And then Harry thinks that Sirius has gone off and done that thing. And you kind of judge serious for it but actually when you think about it like Sirius has been we'll talk about this later but provoked by snake snape and gone through all of this being locked inside blah 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 and he doesn't go off and do something irresponsible which is better than i think a lot of people would do yeah and actually that's really commendable but he doesn't do that thing but the end result is still the same so we kind of judge in the same but i think that this is like kind of a similar thing in that you're like actually he's handling this situation really well yeah and we'll get to it and this book is building towards this tragic moment and there are so many factors in it some of which are Sirius's fault such as the way he treats creature yeah is a paving stone a slab in the path that leads to his death but it is only one of the things that leads it and fred's reaction here of what do you know you've been locked inside this house is another nail in that coffin of what happens to Sirius. Yeah. Because but not from Sirius's end, from Harry's end. Well, yeah, yes, exactly. Because Harry witnesses all these adults goading Sirius and yeah. makes a choice based on that that doesn't end... Oh, God, it's... Do you know what? This book, although is badly written in how wordy it is and it needed an editor... 
when you look at the so literature falls into seven buckets harry potter generally falls into the bucket of the hero's journey pretty solidly classically but sirius's story in this book solidly and snape's story in book throughout the series but book seven falls into the bracket of the tragedy the tragedy can explain i'm not going to explain the whole trope but it's the classic romeo and juliet there was just no fucking communication exactly romeo and juliet othello look at shakespeare's tragedies they are the tragedy and Sirius's story falls into that trope because it is, you can see when you reread these books, the, these nails in the coffin, these like slabs that lead up to the path of Sirius yeah. dying. And, and it's, it's, it's har- horrific to read. Yeah, and it, and all of this leads to, we're so skipping ahead, but all of this leads to that Harry gets this way to communicate with Sirius that he does not, and even when he gets here, he, he says to himself, I will never use this. I, I made a lot of notes on this. I, 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 yeah. I, I, the chills through my body when I read that bit. Yeah, Horrific. like we'll we'll go into it later on, but yeah, it, it's it yeah it is uh, you're hundred percent correct. That is such a good point. It is the classic tra- tragedy, and I think that's why I don't really like them that much because I'm just a person where I'm like just communicate, just communicate. Well, no tragedies thrive off a lack of communication. Exactly, and I'm always like just Romeo and Juliet is incredibly Aww. frustrating to read because you're like just talk. Oh my god. Yeah, like and don't get me wrong, like I don't know what am I. <laughs> Snobs will hate me for saying this, but one of my favourite films is Romeo and Juliet. The, um, the, the, not the Leonardo like, DiCaprio version? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, literally, it's probably so in my top good. ten. But yeah, like, uh, people are going to be like, oh my God, she's, she's, she, 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 the film? The <laughs> film? No, the film. Suck my dick. I'm dyslexic. I can't read Shakespeare. Like, it all just but becomes also, other no, words. No, no, no. Hold on. This is what really irritates me about school curriculums, and I will fight for this. Shakespeare was not made to be read. Yeah. Why are we all forcing children to read it in English when he couldn't spell for shit? He spelled his name four fucking different ways. It is made to be performed and forcing children to try to interpret Shakespeare because you can try to interpret Shakespeare's language whilst reading it and it's really difficult but even someone who is incredibly dyslexic can't understand Shakespeare's language incredibly young can go to a Shakespeare performance and understand what is happening because it was written to be acted it's something that really irritates me about the British school system because we have this I used to read a Shakespeare a year it was a huge yeah. part of my curriculum. Mm-hmm. One term was spent reading Shakespeare. And we were quite lucky. A lot of the time that term would finish with a school trip. And because we also lived close to Stratford-upon-Avon, which is where Shakespeare wrote. So we used to go and see a Shakespeare performance at the end of the year. But that was incredibly lucky because I went to a middle-class school where most of our parents could afford that expense of going to one Shakespeare theatre to play a year. But most people can't afford that expense. And it really fucking gets on my nerves yeah i really love this is completely beside the point there is a term in sociology i can never remember what it is but i learned it in sociology where it was essentially like a something currency or currency something but essentially like in terms of talking about like privilege especially in the school situation right, where there yes. is a the people that can afford where their parents can afford to send them on school trips and yeah, to yeah, go yeah, see yeah, plays yeah, yeah. and to get yeah. tutors blah 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 there is a currency in i can't remember the term but no. that's exactly what you're saying but yeah i completely agree like i am dyslexic and and part of dyslexia is that your brain, if you kind of see a word, even a word that you're familiar with sometimes, but a lot of the time, if a word that you're not familiar with, your brain will just swap it. 
with just a similar word. And that's yeah. the thing. So imagine trying to read Shakespeare where like the words are a almost, lot of the words almost. are like but like, you know, your brain just swaps it and sometimes not for the obvious one, just for like any other, you know, if it's a it's if it's a five letter word beginning with W, your brain will swap it for any other five letter word beginning with W. Yeah. Like I could not read but I bet it. you've gone to see you've gone to see one Shakespeare live before. Have you no. gone, you've never gone to see Shakespeare live? No. I would love us to go to the Globe. You can get standing tickets for a fiver. Yeah, sta- and that, you, that's if you stand I for two really, hours, you would, that, you might yeah, faint, I would really but, enjoy that. And but I, you will. It's really frustrating because when you watch it live, if it's being acted well, you don't need to understand what they're saying because it's like poetry. Yeah, you don't understand every no, word. You're like looking I, at the acting. Yeah. Like I love. I absolutely love Romeo and Juliet, mm. like the 90s one. Like, I Exactly, I love and that it. is in Shakespeare's language, yeah. but you understand everything that's yeah. happening. And like, we even, you know, but yeah, we like, we read Othello and I really enjoyed that. But a lot of that was because we were kind of having to go around the class and read certain bits. Yes. And that helped me a lot more. But when it get, would get to my turn reading and don't get me started on teachers that would do that and make you go around the class and read out to the entire class, mm. especially when it comes to something like, Shakespeare like honestly the amount of like like I just can't I can't even talk about it. like don't do that when you have dyslexic people in your class yeah don't do it just don't do it anyway um but yeah like I just I really enjoyed Othello like I liked it as like a play it's but a yeah play. it's not something that you're supposed to sit there and just read by no! yourself and like, British school English classes are built on it and it yeah. and it determines whether you're smart or not based on whether you can read a book that was written to be a play. We don't sit there and read the plays for Hamilton. Yeah. I don't think in American schools they're <laughs> not like, imagine? here's the script for Hamilton. <laughs> and then Lynn starts rapping. <laughs> exactly. But it's the same... The, equals the same shit. Yeah. It does. That's the, that is the equivalency. Yeah. Do you get like really sad thinking about the stuff that you put up with in school that if you were the person that you are now, you would have like spoken out on? I feel like that uh, that kind of curriculum based thing isn't necessarily a school by school thing. That is a government no. curriculum wide okay, no, thing. No, no, no. But I, yes, I don't generally mean the curriculum thing, but like the, the teaching methods and stuff. There is yeah. so much that now I'm just like is wild to me that I put up with like Oh yeah, now- we had one teacher who would not let us like pass the class unless we put our notes on revision cards. And I said to her multiple times, These cards aren't helping me. I prefer an A five notebook and colour coding my A five notebook and she was like, No, 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 revision cards are proven to be the way that helps pupils. And I was like... Uh, helps a certain percentage. That might be the majority percentage. But it's But not. the majority is and not literally, everyone. literally, a few of us came up to her and we were like, we've come up with an alternative solution that is working better for us. Can we use it? And she was like, no, absolutely not. You will not get through my class. Yeah. And I like, buy, go out and buy revision cards as well. We have to buy them from WH Smith. Flashcards. Yeah. yeah, it's just... There it's are so in- many just, yeah, awful teachers and just... Yeah, I just... There's so much, like, I've, I've talked a lot before about the fact that our school banned skirts. I find it insane now. Like, if you did that now, you would I have full-on petitions and I riots on your hands. male teachers come up to me with a 10 centimeter highlighter taped to a ruler to measure the gap between my knee and the skirt. And they would kneel on the floor to measure the gap between my knee and the skirt. That depends on your height. And also... Get a female teacher to do it. Don't I, do it at all. I know, don't do it at all. But also, but like, I told my mum that the, some of the male teachers were doing that and she was like, F-, but I only told her that when I left school and yeah. she was like, if you had told me that, like, I would have written to the 
fucking MP. Someone that's 5'5 five five is going to do that easily, even if their short skirt is technically shorter than someone that's 5'10. Well, exactly. so, well, my boyfriend's sister at the time was six foot one. My There's no way she would six. have to get her skirt custom altered. So, so I talked to her mum about this a lot and she said the only skirt I can get that's 10 centimetres above the knee is a pencil skirt, but the school only allows skirts with pleats in. Yeah. And she kept getting bad uniform marks because she was six foot one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, insane. But yeah, like it's the, the now when I think about it that going around having to read out loud, especially when it was anything like Shakespeare, I'm like, now that would me, is someone trying to make me do that right now? I would like sit down with the teacher after class and be like, hey, like these are the reasons why I can't do this. And I'm not saying that that would get results. I've had to do that with managers before where they have expected certain things from me and yeah. I've had to sit down and with do them and say, reading hey, is... like I'm dyslexic, like yeah. I can't do this. And I do think and the reading I haven't aloud... got results from that with managers, but like I at least would say Try. that now but when you're like 16 you're never going to say that and like I do agree like I think that reading loud it simulates a play in... and therefore it's helpful but yeah, the like teachers because, have notes but like who in the this class is, the thing. is like, dyslexic I, I got a lot out of the rest of the class the re- reading yeah. that out loud like I got so much from that but I shouldn't have been put through that no. absolute brutal humiliation of, of not trying to do it yeah. not being able to even get through a couple of words and I now realise so I had some teachers who would make us go desk by desk and read a page but I had some teachers and i am good at reading out loud i would have some teachers who would pick me and about four other people and we would always read and i now realize they were the better teachers because they were picking the people who did find it easy to read and could still absorb the information to read to the rest of the class i'm like and we did have people in that class who were both dyslexic and other types of neurodivergency and i'm like oh oh i now understand why they kept asking me to read because i was good at reading out loud and therefore it's beneficial to the rest of the class whilst not impeding my own learning you're never going to get i think that reading out loud is a really important skill but you're never going to get better at something if you're routinely humiliated about it. And in it. front of a class of another 25 people, yeah. that's incredibly like, embarrassing. I, you know, I was not... If if you gave me the average book, like, we had to do in spectacles, and I was fine at reading that aloud. Like, absolutely fine. I was really lucky. I went to an absolutely amazing primary school that really focused on reading a lot and they caught my dyslexia where a lot of schools didn't. Like, mm. most people that I know that are dyslexic got like diagnosed when they were in university i was i was so lucky and we you know my high school filtered in from like probably about four or five different primary schools all into one high school and when you had to go around the class reading you could tell every single one that went to my primary school because they were the ones that were really good at reading out loud like Mm. it was it was something that my school really did really really well and because even though i was dyslexic because my primary school had been so good at teaching that and so good at supporting me through my dyslexia, I was bang average. So I was kind of on par with the other kids that had gone to different schools that were less good with that, you know, because obviously I was disadvantaged by my dyslexia, but advantaged by the primary school that I went to. That was, you know, it was a normal primary school. It just happened to be particularly good. So I I was very lucky. But when it came to Shakespeare... I can't read it's that. It's a different like, language. Shakespeare is a different language. I'm like, sorry, my it brain, is. My brain, my thing is, if it doesn't recognise a word, even if it is like a legit word, but if it's just one that is less common yeah, or quite lengthy, just swaps it. Yeah. Or even sometimes, if I'm particularly tired or stressed or just whatever, sometimes it will just see the word cat and be like, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It will do that. Like Sometimes I just say or type completely the wrong word and then I feel so embarrassed. I have to say to people... 
I don't know why I said that or typed that, like, but my yeah. brain just does that. But yeah. especially with Shakespeare, like, fucking, with this, it was such a long tangent. Is, I'm really I sorry, guys. I can't even but... remember the point in the slightest. Cannot. I don't. Are we Someone... tragedies Shakespeare led on to a massive, but like, I hope You've that got this it. conversation, it might have been a massive tangent, but I hope that it was helpful for people in terms of validating how they feel or at least educating them in terms of like the experience. And also, of... we have some educators who listen to our podcast, so I would feel, I, I would really love to hear how you n- nowadays support people with. Um, yeah. different neurodivergencies and because we haven't been in school and as we both realised we left <gasps> school 10 years ago <laughs> no so my old form teacher tagged yeah, welcome me welcome to another tangent yeah. my old form teacher when we were out for a drink the other day and it was quite funny actually because so we were out me Hannah Neil um our friend Elle and her boyfriend Aiden who is about 10 years older than the rest of us no he isn't that much older is he no he is no, he isn't. No, he's in his mid-30s. We were all out. Three, no, four of us, mid-20s, one, mid-30s. And then whilst we were out, my old form teacher tagged me in a post saying that since we all left high school, it was 10 years tomorrow. Um, and this was on Wednesday. And we all had a mental breakdown about it where like the just the like mid-30s person that we were with was just like looking at us just like bear in mind for anyone in america <laughs> we're talking about year 11 which is two years before you finish school because our last two years of school are can be a different form of education in this country yeah so yeah we all had a like but mm. seriously i i feel <laughs> like we haven't had a proper conversation about this 10 years Shut 10 up. years i don't want we to left be... high school 10 years ago we're reading a story about a child 10, ten years younger ten than years us. Ago. I remember leaving school and thinking, oh my God, I wonder if that'll be like a 10 year, like, you know, at, Do you remember like, they would ask reunion. you like, what's your 10 year plan? Yeah. But I feel like you do leave school and you're like, oh my God, I bet there's going to be like a 10 year reunion because we'll at that be point like, you're like, man. oh my God, in 10 years. Did you I'm ever be... think we'd all be in the middle of a global pandemic yeah. with terrible but like, crippling like mental like, health issues? When you're like 16, you're like, oh my God, by the time I'm like in my like mid to late 20s, I'm going to be like really successful and like married Married. and like oh my god there'll be so much to catch up about on and it's like most people know what we're doing because of social media and also they know what we're doing because no one's doing a lot because we're in our mid-20s yeah no one's doing much and also covid (laughs) has fucked everything (laughs) i'm like maybe Maybe by the 20-year reunion, I'll I have might something be to say. I've not Me? commented on the Facebook post because I don't know what to say. Anyway, uh, anyway so anyway. everyone <laughs> argues argues for a bit. But then Fred um, yells at Sirius that he doesn't take risks, which I literally wrote another nail in the coffin of what happens later. Definitely. Harry begins to panic that he was the one that attacked Mr. Weasley. Will someone speak to this goddamn child? Mrs. Weasley writes that Mr. Weasley is alive. And I've got to say, the way that this chapter is written with once this letter comes to the waiting till Mrs. Weasley arrives is so realistic of that fear waiting for bad news. It's so incredibly written and I, I i really struggle with J- giving jk rolling compliments more but i really want to separate her personal beliefs from her writing as we move forwards because mm. she's an she's and an also incredibly criticize her writing a lot exactly it, it completely she's an incredible writer in some respects and not others i think that everyone is like that every writer exactly but her writing in this moment is is vividly realistic of that weight for bad news when yeah. you from when you get that first phone call 
to the next phone call. But I even it, think it, it's it's almost sickening the re- sickeningly realistic. Yeah, I even think the way from when they get to Grimwald Place to hearing the first note, I just you have to. I think obviously it skips a lot of time in the text because it has what are to. you going to write about like it's and, five then, hours. and then they, they sat in the kitchen yeah. overnight for like five hours but that's also realistic of what you do when you've heard bad, bad news time becomes both too long and too short as you sit there waiting for the next bit of news yeah and you can't do anything else because to do anything else would be an insult to what's happening and you can't but also so therefore time is moving too slowly yeah it's it's just so realistically written and something which i hadn't experienced that much at the time i first read this book and reading as a child but obviously as an adult unfortunately i have and also over longer periods of time like this is a short period of time whether where it's heightened but we've both experienced those things where a much older person has become ill and then you have those weeks and weeks of waiting for the final news and you know it's coming and and it's Although that is a lessened version of the anxiety that the characters are feeling now, it is the same. Mm. Yeah, although, like, saying that, like, I will say, no, it's more that, like, the older people that I've had in my life have had good, long lives. Yeah. And they're people that I've not been that close to. Yeah. And people that I have not agreed with on several core things or considered good people. Okay. Um, But that's very much in my personal experience. So I can't say necessarily that I've related in that respect, but I think the thing that like I have related to, I think the thing is like this happens overnight, which not only makes it worse in that you don't have things to busy yourself with, because when I have dealt with actual grief, the only way I've coped with it is by busying myself. Yeah. And the grief has come later because in the moment I've had to keep myself occupied. Yeah. So that's... When it's overnight, you have to contend with that. There is nothing to do. You can't You can't sleep, but there's nothing to busy yourself with. Mm. And then you're also dealing with the sleep deprivation, yeah. which makes the smallest thing worse, let alone absolute grief. And I think like this is the horrific thing, especially in the, the mental state that Harry gets himself into comes from like a lack of sleep. Oh, yeah. Like, the boy has not slept. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely horrific. Like, the anxiety in the scene is is palpable yeah absolutely sickening and like me and hannah have commented a lot before and said about how you know we get one meeting from our manager put in our calendar from like five hours time and we will do nothing for those five hours just being like i'm fired i'm fired i'm fired i'm fired and you just spend five hours in anxiety being like oh my god yeah and this is like that on crack (laughs) yeah and then you get in that meeting and they're like how are you you're like, like yeah i'm good okay cool that was that was it i just wanted to see how you were you're like i have been on the verge of vomiting for five hours thinking that i lost my job even though i didn't do anything so like could you imagine if you actually you were waiting to hear if your if your your parent had died for like five hours overnight when you should have been in bed can't i just can't and then like and then molly's note is like I'm not blaming Molly in it not being comforting at all. Like, no, never. She hasn't even reached the hospital when she sends the yeah, note. Yeah, and like, she, and you would write it, just, you just need that. You obviously need to update them, but you can't exactly spend time on the note to say anything comfort. But like, oh, it's not comforting at all. Yeah. And then there's Pass. a comment um, Harry thinks about him and Sirius 
about being intruders on the family's grief, mm. which I just think is like a really beautiful, horrible, but beautiful line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's very, again, very realistic. Mm. So at five past ten, Mrs. Weasley finally arrives and she says that Mr. Weasley is going to be all right. And it's palpable relief for the reader, despite the fact I knew what was going to happen, but also post this book, she very strongly considered killing Mr. Weasley off and swerved on it and decided she couldn't and she couldn't do that to the Weasleys. Mm. And, but you can tell how seriously she considered it by the depth of grief in this chapter and the relief was still palpable even though I know that he lived. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a line, basically Molly says that Bill is with Sitting him and him. taking the morning off work. And I'm like, take the whole day take off. Take the to fucking week. Take the week I off work. just can't fathom, like, you're, you're, oh, like, and, mm. hey, and I'm, hey, it's hey, incredibly hey. realistic. I, I, I once didn't get compassionate leave for the day. I did get compassionate leave for a funeral, but the funeral was the other side of the country. And the day after the funeral was the last working day before Christmas, which this is very close to the last working day before Christmas. And I said, hey, 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 I can't get back to the office for that one final day because I need to travel all the way home for this funeral. And I'm then in that area for Christmas. So I would like to stay in that area, please, and not travel all the way to London yep. the day after this funeral. So but I don't need compassionate leave for that day. It's okay. Don't worry. I will work from home. It's it, it's absolutely. Bear in mind you work in social media, which is entirely remote. Entirely remote. I would like to work from home that day, please. After the close family members' funeral, the kind of family member where technically, in most UK handbooks, you can ask for a minimum of a week compassionate leave off work. I had asked for one day on top of the day I had taken after the death, but I'll work it from home. No, we don't allow working from home this company. You will come into London. I cannot yep. come into London. I cannot make it the day after the funeral because the funeral is quite late in the afternoon. Oh, okay, well, you have to take it as annual leave. I don't have any annual leave yet. Okay, we'll take it as um, unpaid and dock it from your salary. How long did you work there, Hannah? <laughs> Five months! <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, just <laughs> vile, absolutely vile. And I, I love thinking about how difficult companies get about working from home when you're like, like now. Hello, COVID. It's like the the Christmas before COVID. The company I worked for at the time decided that none of us could work from home over Christmas. And they told us this very last minute when everyone had obviously, obviously like, booked their train tickets home and kind of treated their annual leave as if they would any other year where they would be able to work from home for like at least a few days over Christmas, which is standard in London. Yeah, because um, and most had people been, do not stay in London for yeah, Christmas. Yeah, and had been standard at the company for all of the previous years. And then, yeah, HR randomly went, no, no one can work from home because they're not actually going to be working. And it's like, okay, but even though they're not actually working, there's so many days surrounding Christmas where there's nothing actually to do. Nothing. But yeah, and even like the social media team, which is entirely remote and they have to even work on like Boxing Day and stuff, they were like, you cannot work from home. So it's like, you're seriously saying that the entire social media team has to come in on Boxing Day. Like, no, they don't. Yeah, they do have to be working, but they can do that with their families. And like, they kicked up such a fuss about it. It screwed up so many people's like trains or flights or like anything and then three months later covid happened <laughs> and you're like covid is a horrific thing but also that is hilarious yeah. anyway oh uh, so but yeah when yeah that bill literally taken that more time half off. line really 
pissed me off as well for the same reasons. It's like his dad might die, die he and he's got the full day morning off. Work. Don't get me wrong, I think it's really realistic. Oh, it's, yeah, it's so totally realistic. It's actually working realistic. for a bank. Yeah. But it's still horrific. Fuck. And I say fuck this country. America's ten times worse yeah. in their situation. Big time. So fucking hell. So, um, so St. Mungo's is oh, hidden. Wait, in an, no. Uh, Harry pulls Sirius into the pantry and tells him he was the snake. Yes, Harry confiding in an adult. Sirius it's his is, motherfucker. Sirius is not helpful, but I would like to congratulate Harry on confiding in an adult. Sirius says just stop worrying, which might be the least useful statement I've ever yeah. heard. So Harry, poor baby, refuses to sleep, so he doesn't uh, attack no, no, no. the others. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, I was gonna say you've skipped ahead. No, no, no. Oh, Harry no. refuses to sleep, so he doesn't attack the others, and then Which, at lunch. Ah, uh, it's ah. just this boy at this point this is boy. severely <laughs> sleep deprived. You're never, ever, ever gonna make rational, okay, no. dis- like oh, oh poor baby so, so at lunchtime they all head to the hospital and they arrive i love this bit a closed down department store and step through the glass after talking to a mannequin and i just love the way wizards hide their shit yes I love it because this is genius because every town has that building and even london can you think? have those buildings yeah oh yeah mk but can you, yeah. you can everyone can oh. name that one building yeah where honestly, and it's still like where I'm. It's been okay, close not, for exa- years. not exactly where I'm from, but the closest big town to where I'm from is Ipswich, and there has been a department store building there that has been closed. I can't, I can't remember it being open. Yeah. There's also like an old cinema. It used to be the Odeon, which closed. I can slightly remember it being open slightly so i probably was like six or seven when it closed yeah and to this day it is still closed but it's still there and i'm just like i love this because it's such a genius way of hiding things because no muggle you're just like oh yeah that's yeah. a local there's no you know council funding or they couldn't sell Close it or, for years or, yeah or, yeah oh, and, they'll, they'll find a buyer at some point oh, yeah and i'm I just love like it. this is a genius way of hiding hospital like there could be so many in my local town that no one blinks an yeah. eye on that have just been shut for absolutely ever, which is also really sad when you think about the state of the British economy, but I guess that we Every only have Debenham's to Debenham's in this country, the final one closed down today. Debenham's. How sad is that? Yeah. That is heartbreaking. That is the department store. Yeah. You think about department stores, you're like, Debenham's. Debenham's. I worked in one for eight months. Like, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's really... But yeah, that's, you know, we've only got the Tories to thank thank for that really oh so. yeah because we've got john lewis left yay the tory department store you ever said it's not pre- harry they they walk into the hospital um and harry asks if the people walking around in special robes are doctors and one says no those mad people those mad muggles that cut people open their healers which good simple word thank you i really like the simplicity of the fact they're called healers i just think that's really nice the floor guide is fucking brilliant and i used to like stop the book and like read the floor guide in detail because it's really funny and also makes no sense because it's based on the cause not the effect of the injury so it's based on spell damage accident yeah something bit you rather than the effect that that thing gives you which is a stupid way to split healing like for yep. fuck's sake i bet I, I guess it depends on how magic works because i think when we think about muggle healing um it's very much about like the the ailment whereas i guess you could apply a logic to magic where it's like the how it's caused relates to the cure 
I guess. I guess I'm it depends. thinking like... We don't know a, that for sure, but that, yeah, that could be a... gash a... by an animal and a gash by a spell might have completely different ways exactly. of healing them. And we, yeah. we don't know that, but yeah, yeah. maybe. Bode is mentioned in passing, which I love this build-up of yeah. Bode. I do also, I have to say, I love that uh, Ron says that doctors are muggle nutters that cut people up. Um, having spent a lot of time recently watching Grey's Anatomy, can confirm, because I love how they portray surgeons in that way, they just all fucking get ah! off on cutting into people. They're specifically surgeons, but yes, they just get off on it. Yeah. They arrive at Mr. Weasley's ward and he seems fine. It's so great. He's sitting up in bed and chatty. There's a werewolf in the um, room, which is a nice um, little tidbit. Um, um, also, um, sorry. Uh, so the receptionist, when they get there, is really fucking rude. I love the receptionist. Um, which I just take so personally because there is this British stereotype that doctor's receptionists are really rude. And my mother is a doctor's receptionist and she's the nicest person in the world. And literally, when I say this is a stereotype, there are like radio phone-ins and stuff like that and special segments oh, all they, about well, how... All the ones I've worked in, they're really mean to me. Yeah, about really how horrible they are. And I'm, and I'm sure that they are. And also, I know this because I, I've I've called the doctors and the dentists before and they're fucking vile. Also, um, the ones where I am now, because of COVID, they won't approach the glass, but I can't hear them and it's really awkward because I'm like, hi, I'm this person and they all answer back yeah. and I'm like, I can't hear you. Can you come here? They're like, no, because of COVID, we have to stay yeah. over here. And I'm like, can't hear yeah, you. I've had like a problem with my teeth. Literally, it happened March 2020 when the COVID began. Teeth. And like, I've called the dentist before to ask, are you doing non-emergency patients? Yeah. And they will be fucking horrible about it. Yeah. And like, part of me is like, okay, like, I get it. And like, my mum is a doctor's Stick receptionist. I get it. Your tongue is Why? blue. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thanks, Blue Goo. But like, part of me gets it because... You know, my hearing from my mum, they put up with so much bullshit and yeah. so many thick people asking dumb questions. Like, I do get it. But it's like, I if if someone you're speaking to is being really nice, like when I rang the doctors, I was like, oh, like, it's okay if not, but I just wanted to check, like, are you doing non-emergency patients get you? No, we're not. We're not. You only can get it if you're in absolute... I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, I, I have to ring to ask because otherwise I'm not going to know. But like, they're just so horrible. Is that me? And I'm like, I understand that like 90% of the time you're dealing with people that are thick and horrible. But if I'm being really nice to you and just asking a question, please don't answer it. And they're probably anyway, really overworked yeah, and really but underpaid. Like, so. I, yeah, I'm like, I get why JK put this in. It's a very accurate bit of like British thing. But also I get offended because my mum is a doctor's receptionist and she's lovely. I, I would love your mum as a doctor's receptionist. She's so nice. And also like she just like she anyone she remotely knows, she will get appointments like that. That's what I want. There's a werewolf in the ward, which is just an interesting tidbit mr weezy refuses to tell the kids where he was when he got bitten and the kids end up being sent out because they're being really fucking annoying they're literally in there two minutes and fred and george are like where were you yeah why were you on duty were you guarding the weapon yeah was it the thing voldemort wanted and they're like just talk to your father he nearly died shut up you yeah lot. I do love when Arthur mentions that, like, he went up to the... Well, not went up, but he tried to talk to the werewolf bitten guy and was like, I've I've got a friend. And he's like, oh, I didn't say any names, which is like, you probably could have. Like, and also, fine. Lupin approaches him later in yeah, a later chapter. But it's just like, it's just so pure and lovely that he tried to be like, I've got, I've a, got friend, a friend, like, the werewolf, like, it's okay, you're going to be okay. And like, the guy wasn't receptive to it, which, which like, is fair enough. Get, going but like, trauma. But uh, I just like, it's it's so pure. It I is. I love it, Mr. Weasley. Mr. Weasley is so great. So the kids are sent out and Tonks and Moody end up going in. So Fred and George bring out extendable ears. And like, 
uh, I understand eavesdropping on the meetings, but I feel this is an invasion of privacy when yeah. you're eavesdropping on your parents with just two other people. But anyway, they put the extendable ears under the door and in the three sentences of conversation they hear, Moody says that Voldemort is possessing Harry. Yeah. And that's where the chapter ends. Da, da, da. Uh, somebody talk to this boy! Yep. Give him some information so he doesn't go insane. insane. Wow. Um, I said I didn't have many notes in this chapter and we talked for two yeah, hours. Yeah, I had it before. So I'm, like, oh, I'm really worried. Like, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 we'll be fine. Oh, we have a question. Um, we have a question. So this question is from Chantel. She says, the question I have for the two of you is, what are your thoughts on the theory that the Dursleys were so evil to Harry because he was a Horcrux? Cor- hor- 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 Horcrux. I like this theory in practice that the lockets seriously negative, negatively affect the trio because it had a part of Voldemort's soul. Mm-hmm. However, I think when it's in a person their soul and feelings and emotions outweigh the outwards yeah. effects of the Horcrux. It's like diluted. Yeah, so I do not think that's the case. I think we have a lot of other evidence for why the Dursleys are the way they are. And also, Harry and Ron spend more time with Harry, even in Hogwarts, than the Dursleys yeah. do. So if the Dursleys were mean to Harry, then Ron and Hermione would see the same effects. But I like the principle of yeah. the theory. I also think that like we know that Petunia's an arsehole just from how she treated Lily beforehand yeah. so like i i don't believe it but i do kind of like it in principle i yeah. do agree yeah but that was actually a simple one yeah it when was. it came out i was like that's cool and then i thought about it and i was like yeah. i don't like it i just think harry has a strong soul and personality that outweighs yeah it's so diluted it, it's crux. not the same as when it's a ring where it's like a soul in an empty thing exactly like a harry himself the is a person yeah it's a seventh of his soul competing with 100% of one. Exactly. And we know, like, it does make a difference in the way that he can speak to snakes and he has certain... It's his, motherfucker. ...powers. But, yeah, I just think the Dursleys are dicks. Yeah. Anyway, anyway thank you, Chantal, for, listening, for that guys. question. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this beefy motherfucking episode. Beefy. Beefy. Beef. Um, thank you for the blue goo. Uh, surprisingly <laughs> drinkable once you get a couple of sips down. Yeah, I agree. As a review. Tell us if any of you try Blue Goo. Send us pickies. I'm never saying pickies again. Bye. Yep. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Veronica, Sandra, Samuel, Rhiannon, Matalib, Matt, Kristen, Katie, Catherine, Emily and Alexia. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.